You're tuned in to the Bruh's Bookshelf Podcast, where we read the books and let the content drive the discussion. Listener discretion is advised. institution had just reached Ted Morton's plantation of Old Ox, Georgia. Prentice and his brother Landry gathered what little they had and began their journey to freedom. Although they didn't know what the future held, they knew that it couldn't be worse than living under the tyranny of Ted Morton. The brothers made it as far as to George Walker's property, which was 200 acres passed down to him from his slaver father, Benjamin Walker, that sat adjacent to Ted Morton's plantation. Now, George was a man that kept to himself. He and his wife, Isabel, and son, Caleb, lived a modest life on their property by themselves. Now, the book awakens with George getting lost on his property looking for a creature that he last saw in his childhood. Now, while George get lost, he finds Prentice and Landry camping on his property. Instead of being startled by these two niggas just hanging out on his property, George greeted them and spoke to them like they were friendly pedestrians. And that first encounter was the beginning of a friendship that would change the lives of George's family, Prentice and Landry, in the lives of the whole town of Old Ox, Georgia. This is a story of friendship, courage, right and wrong, secrets, integrity, justice, and hope. The Bruh's Bookshelf presents to you Nathan Harris's debut novel, The Sweetness of Water. Give it up. Thank you for tuning in to another podcast episode of the Bruh's Bookshelf with your host, Lennon Givens. And I'm joined here with my beautiful wife, Dr. Teresa Smith-Givens. Hey! And I have my line brother, the Deuce Dog of the 2001 line, Upsilon Side, Donovan Snipe. And we also have here... Dr. Harvey Hinton the third. Let's give it up. <laughs> Teresa, what led you to pick this book as our next book to cover on the Bruh's bookshelf? Well, I guess if I have to be honest, I was given three books by you to pick from. <laughs> and so out of the cold three, world, when that's you asked world. me, I could only remember the name of one. So that's how we ended up with this. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So even with that, what you think about this book? I, I liked it. I I enjoyed reading 
the parts that I did get a chance to read um, manually, but I did listen to most of the book. Um, and it was a very good listen. So I enjoyed it. What you like about it the most? What did I like about it the most? What I liked about it the most was the illustration with the words that the author used that kept me engaged. And uh, I got to see the scenes in my mind. And it was just, it kept me on my ride listening and basically just enthralled in a story that took me back in time. Me personally, I was impressed just by the author being 29 years old and he was able to capture the language of the time and write in a very descriptive way that places you back in 1865. And he made you feel like you were in the fictitious town of Old Ox, Georgia. Oh, no, dog. I got I got to hate on dude now, dog. I got to hate, dog. Let my ignorance run out. Dog, he said ambulance, dog. They had ambulances. He did say ambulance. He had ambulances back then, bro. He said, did you look Negroes. it up? He, he said, said Negroes. White folks is called black, black folks Negroes. Who were Negroes back then, then, bro? The fuck out hey, of here. Dope, dope, dope writing, though, bro. I, 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 I ain't gonna, but that little part right there, hey, good oh, catch. it's a whole lot of like. Good catch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't do my homework on who he was. So when you tell me he's 29, like, yo, like, like, because. I mean, we know that that's the black experience, but have we actually ever thought about what it looked like? You know, um, I think we've been presented with a picture of slavery that is horrible, horrific, and many of us haven't really, you know, wanted to explore what it actually looked like. And I think with this, these are stories and it's just fun. It's a fun um, imagination. It's a fun idea around what the time period may have been like for a certain group of people. I thought it was interesting in the description of the book and how you described the book. My experience with the book, the brothers, Prentice and Landry, are not the main characters. I hated these characters. I thought the writing was beautiful. I liked the, I liked, the fact that we went to this time frame because it is a, a time period I don't think we really get to explore. It's just like we were slaves, and then all of a sudden it was like 1968. So it's like it's really good to get the black experience throughout the Reconstruction period. But to your point, yeah, all of these black folks are accessories to these dusty ass, ungrateful, pitiful white folks. Like everybody in the, in the book was just pitiful, pitiful, decrepit ass, pitiful, like. <laughs> I, I I was so bothered throughout this entire book. Now Landry and Prentice, I didn't hate them that much. Not for real. Actually, Prentice I actually kind of like, but um, yeah, everybody else trash. All of them. <laughs> how hard do you think it was, or how realistic or wise? it was to be classified as white and not be bought into a racist climate by truly considering all people as human and equal and still acquiring and growing wealth as well as maintaining your social status in the community 
or not have you or your family threatened with physical violence? Everybody was fake. Everybody was putting on airs and had this this crust of like gilded nobility all based off of the a fucking lie. Work, the huh. lie and the work <laughs> turmoil and trauma of black folks. Like the only reason these people was like became human is because they had no more quote unquote workers and it's like oh my gosh what are we going to do our entire life has changed everything is so horrible girl fuck you like you just had like I just I just I was really bothered I'm sorry and yeah to your point it was it's not hard because all of it was made up like all of the social class to Tarvi's point everything was fake like nobody was really authentic with one another for the most part with the exception of say like um, maybe like George's and Edra's relationship and who's that lady's name? Not Elizabeth. Um, Isabel okay. and yeah, and the other chick. But what was George's na- neighbor name though? Tom was it? Tim? Tom? Tom Land? Tom? It was Tom Morton. Tom Morton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tom yeah. Morton. That's the one that he 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 stormed over and falsely accused. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he was a, he was a cool white boy, if you will. Like I had no issue with Hold that. Hold on, white George boy. or Tom? Tom. You think Tom was cool as a racist? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> was, a, <laughs> was, hey, was Tom your favorite character? I think so. Like, like at the end of the day, I, I think Tom had the most shit with him. You know. Why do any of you think I ain't down there in the field? Y'all think I wouldn't appreciate the company? No, see, I'm just naturally a hot-blooded man. Sure as hell ain't looking to get any hotter than I already is. And when the sun hits, I get a little dizzy. My body don't sit right. So you tell me before I feel that heat on my back where these two went off to. Or else I might get a little moody. And if my day's ruined this early, y'all being such sympathetic creatures, I imagine you might share my plight. <laughs> Mr. Morton was a motherfucker. Nah, I like Webler. Webler was my favorite character. I can stand Webler. Man. I love Webler. Webler's, he's, he's nasty. He's the worst person Donovan's talking about. He's nasty. But, you know... He, oh my God, he was like Biff off of Back to the Future. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Just asshole all around. Oh my gosh. Hey, I want to speak to this right quick. Do do y'all think that they were knowingly, I mean, to be a nasty person, you have to be knowingly nasty and know what you're doing. You got to know that you're deceiving. But if that is the way of life, and that's the only way you were taught, are they a victim of racism as well? Definitely. I mean, because white supremacy destroys everything, including white people, just like that fire. Like, exactly. That's okay. a prime example. Like, I thought we that meant to hurt these groups of white folks, but now we destroyed everything with and our my ignorance. own shit, probably. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. And they don't, I thought that was yeah, a I metaphor mean, for that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I guess it is hard for them. I mean, it's hard. Like you said, they have to. But it's of their own creation too. So, like, just stop. 
I mean, they create rules that they can't live by, and they create conditions that the heart does not allow you. So you, at some point, the human heart has to turn off in order to accept some of these ideas that these people have. Um, and it's just, you know, what's interesting is, particularly in this story, is how there's a decorum of gentlemanship, if you would. There's a there's an mm-hmm. etiquette that, that mm. I think that's real. No, I think I think that's real. I think when you look at the racist presidents of the past and the racist governors of the past, they all spoke like that. They spoke with a, mm-hmm. a, a high um, authority of language, and and I think that was a, a privilege. It still is a privilege, but they were also like cold killers too, though. You know, and they had they had it's no a privilege problem to speak in taking life with decorum. No, I'm I'm asking. That was my I w- that was a question. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think because they privilege? spoke. I think because they spoke a certain way, it gave them privilege within their within white spaces. You know, I they, think again we have to understand the time. We're talking about a time where the only one of the only forms of entertainment was reading, so everybody was well read. Everybody had like a strong command of the English language. Who was afforded that? No, but they were I, all... I understand what you mean, but I'm also saying, was it a privilege to talk that way, or is that a product of being privileged? It's it's both, and it depends on who you are, right? So, like, what's the what's the white dude you was just talking about, Lenny? Um. Webler, I got Wexler in my mind, <laughs> the freaking boondocks. But Webler, Webler um, versus uh, George, right? I think at different times they both had a command on the English language, but uh, George was looked at as a punk, whereas Wexner is obviously like you know top dogging. But them other white boys, when they was talking to George, like, George, I don't have the fancy language you have, George. I can't say it as eloquent as you, so you just kiss my ass, George. You know? So, so yeah, it's, it's real clear in there that there's a privilege in there with being a speaker a certain type of way in that time period. I think it's Which th- is why I like the book. You and cool. okay. you all you said you hate it, but this book to me is a representation of everything it's the same it's old but it's the same and these are all themes that run through society at this point right now and especially when donovan talked about the fire because that is very evident in society that people are willing to destroy their own lives just to be vindictive against one person and might I add an act of jealousy because you had these wounded warriors returning back from the civil war with no jobs. And some of them, and some of them were homeless and those sentiments were shared on both sides of the field, the Confederate and the union. They were also salty because they had to put their life on the line to fight, to free free African slaves, neither of which who they particularly cared for. So here they are. They're white. They're veterans. They can't find a job. And here you are giving their job away, paying fair wages to these niggas. Yeah, because you got to keep in mind, um, 
the whole social strata and class system was dependent upon slave labor. And so once we didn't have slaves anymore, and once we didn't have a war to fight for slavery, all of those people lost their purpose and they didn't have one. And so the re, the response to that is anger, violence. Um, it, I would say jealousy, but I mean, jealousy is kind of like the root of what white supremacy is. It's just the jealousy of all people who consider themselves white, of people who are considered non-white. Um, yeah, they, they were all just like reaching for straws that just have some type of meaning, it seemed like. Like well, after it was a displacement situation. of an entire social status and structure. Um, it was now, just like you said, certain people are out of a system. The overseer now has nothing to oversee. The slave master now has no workers. The slaves don't have a job per se because that particular thing that they were doing was getting them shelter and minimal health care and minimal food and water, but it was still the system that they were used to. So an entire system has been uprooted and no one knows what to do. You know, them brothers, you talk about the, the, the Africans, the slaves that was free, the idea that they were wandering and finding peace in the woods. Like, just leave me the hell alone. Like, just me and my brother. <laughs> we ain't trying to bother nobody. But, but to Teresa's point, they were so vulnerable. They only made it as far as next door. I get it. And they so, but they were so happy and free just next door, right? Just left alone in the woods. But they were also so vulnerable. Like, they couldn't, like, you're talking about, a time period where the disrupt created chaos for, I mean, for everyone. Like if you was black and just because those opportunities were afforded to you, it did not guarantee that your life was going to be better because you had to deal with the threat of violence and the jealousy that we just spoke about. And so that's what makes the time period so weird. I mean, look at a person like George who for most intents and purposes, George probably, you know, didn't, didn't quote unquote have slaves, but once he got on his own and wanted to be, you know, looking out for the brothers, the white boys came out to George. So, you know, it's 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 something about white supremacy that that it does eat at itself. It's horrible, man. It's a horrible thing. And I think I think I think that's where this book does shine in the sense that it it, it plays a lot of attention to the different nuances that these white people had to experience. Well, they came after George because they felt like George was purposely doing something against them. So they took a personal offense to the fact that George was discounting the white worker and putting a Negro, I guess if that's what we're going to say, on equal footing with a white man. You know, they, they can handle dare you. They can handle that. But the, the, but he, you know, I've always treated everyone fair. I never robbed a man. Like, you talk about, can you be a righteous man during that time period, Lenny? Hey, I mean, he thought, you know, I never I never paid a man different because of his race and his color. And it's like, yo, he was just a slave. Well, was he a man? 
That's not my fault. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that shit is horrible, man. <laughs> and what's yeah, your thoughts? What are what are your overall thoughts on George? What do I mean, you he's, think he's, about he's, George? He's, a, he's, he's a, a man of his he's a man of his time. Um and you know at the, at the end of the day, we only can do but so much until we get to that point of self-sacrifice. And I think George had enough to say, okay, I had enough. And I think that's deep, you know, whereas most circles, George looks like a punk. George has a lot of courage, but he's just a, he's just a man of his time, you know? He's not a punk. He had a lot of courage to stand in his truth and live his truth. And he was eclectic. My thoughts on George are that... Um... In this era or this environment of respectability that they had to, or they attempted to live up to, George is one of like the few people that was actually trying to do it fair and square across the board. Like that, that decorum and politeness is only afforded to white, well, really white men. I mean, there was some amongst the white, the women as well, but like even even at certain points, women had like a certain place and they couldn't speak about certain things with the men and men wouldn't say certain things with the women. And even though it's really all bullshit because how can you be so polite and respectful in one instance and then in the next instance you've beaten somebody to death? George was one of the few people that was actually, I think, trying to actually live up to the those standards, like for real, for real. So that's that's why we have him paying Landry and Prentice an honest wage and giving them a fair shot because they're, he sees them as men just like any other men. So I do kind of like him, but I don't know. I, I just have problems with the book throughout. Like everything about uh, friendly white folks was depicted as something like bad. Like you had George, the weak wimp, who's able to get beat up. And I won't say able to get beat up, but just like very just... I don't want to say cowardly either. Just think, think about Donovan unsavory. Wood. As, about, and then when you juxtapose that to um, August and his family, where like they're the rich noble people, but they're all a bunch of assholes. So it's like the strong, the people who are admired the most in the city are really the kind of like the most evil people in the town. And then the ones who like should probably get the most respect are the ones who are looked down, looked down upon. So I don't know. It was an interesting foil. All right. Before we go any further, uh, for the listeners, now, George is married to a woman named Isabel. Isabel is very uh, reserved. She's always trying to figure George out, trying to see, you know, why he's taking these long walks in the woods. And George seems not to be very interested in her and makes her mind wonder why he's not really that intimate but George is not an intimate person because George is a different kind of guy. And George kind of moves to the beat of his own drum. And then there's Wade Webler. Wade Webler is like uh, one of the wealthiest men in the town of Old Ox. Wade Webler has a son named August Webler. August Webler and Caleb Walker are best friends. August and Caleb were sent out to fight in the Civil War for the Confederate. And the rumor has it that Caleb got so scared 
that he jumped up and started uh, running towards enemy lines with his hands up to surrender, and they shot and killed him. But later find out that that was just a rumor, and Caleb came home. But upon Caleb's return, everybody in Old Ox didn't respect him. So they didn't respect him, and they really didn't respect George. And they said Caleb uh, Caleb is a reflection of his dad, George. So I just wanted to get bring everybody up to speed on what we're talking about. So right now we're just talking about these different characters. Well, well, hold on. If if mm. if George if 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 the brothers don't come on George's property, George probably is a very well respected man. I mean, they 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 you know you got the guys who the alpha male crew who who they know who they are, but they they won't coming after George like that had not. Prentice and Landry became part of George's life. I don't think I don't think George would is not an abolitionist. I don't think he gives a shit about the fate of black people if if these brothers don't come into his life. You know, and that's the also, luxury of being a, George, a good white though, man, so to speak. <laughs> I think that that is a part of the book that may be a little bit cliche. I think George was represented in a way so that it gave him time to grow in the book. Um, maybe that was the author's intent. Um, I won't know because I don't know the author. But starting out with George, he was presented in a way kind of like his son, but not as weak as his son. So it was always stated in the book that although he was his own man, I think that the way that he lived people didn't respect it so much because he didn't really work. If we can go back, he didn't, his farm wasn't really a farm. George and Isabel were rich because they owned land, but George had decided that he didn't really want to work. And I think that people looked at him like he's a man who doesn't work. And if you look at society now, a man who doesn't work has no value. Unless he's a billionaire. You had to work there to get there unless, you know, it's... it's That's an American lie. That's an American lie. People don't get rich off of hard work in this country. Okay. People get rich off of exploitation. My thoughts on George is this. Um, George was painted in the beginning to be, like we all said, weak and mirror his son. And... um, Maybe not weak, but... At first, Another I thought word. they was about to go with George was gay, and, and he really wasn't I, I into told you his that wife. wasn't the case. Right. That's what I first, I mean, because that's how they was painting George. To you. Right. All right. I think that in this book, Landry and Prentice gave George a purpose. But George already had that purpose within him. Because like I stated before, just because other people think that you're weak or they don't know what your purpose in life is. And George had something else in his mind. George was not really a, he wasn't a follower. He was a, I don't give a damn. Right. He was very much an individual and he was very much like an outlier in his personality. Because of that. Definitely. Yeah, because even though that was part of the reason why he even lived out so far, because like he was, like you said, he wasn't necessarily an abolitionist, but 
like a lot of white folks at that time, they might have just was like, I'm just not even going to get into it. So let me just live far away on this homestead. No, he lived far because that's the land that he was in inherited to him from his father. Yes, but also he stated that he wanted his cabin far back on his land because he didn't really like people. And it annoyed him that Ted put his house so close to the road and that his fountain would spill over into the street. Okay. But I still believe my point is that in this book, the way Nathan wrote this, he... Landry and Prentice gave George a new purpose in life. A new direction, yes. A new direction, because if it had not been for Landry and Prentice, George would have been in obscurity. You they know, he would have been a nobody. Ass. And his, and his whole just family legacy would have rest up on Caleb's reputation. That's mm-hmm. what he thought was about to happen. They're like, George, shut up. He's like, hey, don't hurt me. Man, I'm trying to catch this damn rabbit, man. <laughs> hey, guys, I've gotten fat. Why? Because I like to munch on unhealthy snacks. But all that is about to change. Thanks to Power Bites. Power Bites offers a nutritious and healthy alternative to junk foods without all the unhealthy ingredients. Power Bites come in two flavors, almond peanut butter crunch and salt peanut butter crunch. Both of my favorites. More importantly, they're gluten-free, soy-free, and dairy-free. And they're good. Don't believe me? Try for yourself. Pick up a variety pack at eatpowerbites.com. www.eat. P-O-W-E-R-B-I-T-E-S dot com and use the promo code HERTS15 that's H-E-A-R-S-T 15 oh I almost forgot to mention it's black owned more of a reason to go to www.E-A-T-P-O-W-E-R-B-I-T-E-S eatpowerbites.com and order your variety pack enjoy Back to the bros bookshelf. Okay, let me slow it down right quick and bring the listeners up to speed. You see, the first 11 chapters in the book were character development. We talked about Mr. Morton. We talked about the close relationship between Caleb and August. Then we have Isabel, George's wife and her best friend, Mildred Foster, who is a matriarch in her family and her relationship between and the relationship between her and Isabel is really, really close. But then there was also this feeling that Isabel had for Landry. Now, because George was so mystique, he couldn't connect with his wife intimately. So, When she saw Landry for the first time, she was drawn to him by his broad bill and his reticence, which was brought on by a disability from Mr. Morton. Then you have Wade Webler and his son, August Webler. And the Weblers are considered one of the most influential people in Old Ox. And Wade Webler is 
something like a dignitary. He's a dignitary simply by virtue of he is the wealthiest man in the town. Right. And how did people get wealth back in the day? Boss. Beating the ass is what he did. <laughs> that's, that's his son. Pause. <laughs> All right. Caleb and August, who is Wade Webler's son, had a romantic secret relationship going. And there's such tropes. Oh, the the, the secret relationship, I got to tell you, man. I, I'm listening to this story with my damn 7-year-old. And, and we've been we've been we've been breaking down so much stuff about this book from the title, like what's the sweetness of water? What what's the sweetness of I mean, we going we just breaking it all down. And man, I I jump into chapter 12. I had to cut that shit off. You better I that, that shit came out of nowhere, Nathan. What was you thinking? <laughs> it really didn't come from nowhere. I don't know what you it was a build up. what clues you all have been listening to. It, it, it was a build up. It was coming. It was coming. But there's so many build ups. I'm thinking that uh, Isabel going to give uh, Landry some, you know. You know what I mean? <laughs> she was trying. Yeah, I thought, I thought, that's what I thought it was going. I thought that George was gay. And Landry was going to end up moving Isabel to Delft and have like this secret relationship. That was that was George's desperation. Isabel saw and, and, these two bucks come home, so right. I better and George is going to feel relieved that he didn't have the pressure to have sex with his wife anymore. Isabel, I thought that's where the story was going. Would you, would you like to have some fun tonight, Isabel? You know, Isabel, I tried I, to get it up. And I tried to think it up, but I'm just so blessed that these young books are in here and they can satisfy you ways that I can't. It sounds like a Will Smith, a a story of Will Smith. (laughs) You leave Will alone. (laughs) I wish I was Tupac. (laughs) But anyway. Mm-hmm. Yo, I so, mean, it was a lot. So it's, it's a lot of tension. I thought Isabel was gonna get with Margaret. You know, it's a lot of. Oh, me too. Me too. <laughs> yeah. I was, thought it was, was gonna be close. a silly. Uh, uh, and she oh, gave me moment. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it's a lot of build up. So now, when you jump into chapter twelve, it was like, whoa, like, bro, didn't need all that. Like, I had to, like that. We, we, I had to take it out. Like, and it, you know, that that took me to a hold. And, and it's like, okay. Again, I'm, I'm talking about having my daughter in the car, right? So, so is it the the homosexual act, or is it the graphic nature of the act being dis- talked about? I think it's the graphic nature. I mean, Buddy was 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 oh man, he went he, penetration was going back and forth. He was holding the grass, and his face was turning red, and he was loving it. And every stroke felt deeper and deeper. And de- I was just like, what? Oh, bro, Nathan, you lost me on that one, bro. Hey, like, it was he, okay. I, he didn't lose you because you remember. <laughs> <laughs> I was hey, traumatized, listen. Teresa. I wasn't expecting that. I don't know. This I, I was trauma. looking for family time with my dog. That was a good hell? recollection. Like, I couldn't even oh, no. fast enough. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. It was hey, a lot. But let me say this. Let me finish. Doing that ad that Harvey described, Landry was out being 
in his own mind, in his own tranquil place, and he happened to stumble stumble upon that, and he saw it. And August and Caleb realized that they were seen by Landry. So their reputation is on the line in this backwards town. Caleb doesn't care. Huh? Caleb doesn't care. Yeah, Caleb well, didn't care. He was like, hey, you know, we well, should be good. Well, but August does. August, August, August being August the toxic does. daddy issue top that he is. But no, no, no. August, <laughs> August, August is more of a punk because August doesn't know Landry. And if August knew Landry and knew Landry wouldn't talk, it would have been everybody's little secret. But I thought he said couldn't, he's on Landry. I don't, he couldn't I, risk. He couldn't risk it. No, he couldn't. I mean, well, he was going to. That's I don't know. I guess men. He was going to let it go, but Landry, in his last act of defiance, said, "I can talk." I don't think that was a last act like, of defiance. Well, what I'm do you a think man. it was? I'm he like clearly you. said, "I can talk." I think we. I think that was his last display of dignity before you kill me. Which is the same I'm a, thing. I'm a human. I'm a That's human. The same thing. I don't think he was. It, it, it was a defiance. defiance it was his defiance against the defiance. system. Against you are not going to relegate me to this position of powerlessness. I have what? power. What's the name of that book? Um, where that man was on trial. I thought Landry could fight. And though. he said I, I was, was a human. He probably could fight. You know, know, it's an elephant. The lesson you know, before elephant to. Yeah. And you're right. And that's exactly what I wanted from Landry. You know, they talked about how strong he was. And that's what Caleb was saying. Caleb I've never was seen a thinking, man more violent with an axe. Exactly. Caleb <laughs> was like, I know that he can defend himself, but he didn't. The only thing he did was make sure that he understood that he was not powerless. So Could it be so that Landry was tired and he was ready to oh, go? Oh, I mean, it there's the be. story no, about how no. Landry got his jaw broke, right? And yeah, that story. So Landry is the honcho. <laughs> Landry, Land, somebody was it? Somebody, somebody ran away on the plantation. So that means. Am I, am I mistaken for thinking it wasn't August's family? Didn't he come off August's plantation? No, no, no. no. He, he came off of Tom's plantation. Tom, Tom, Tom Morgan. Oh, Tom okay, Morgan. gotcha. Yeah. So somebody ran away, and Tom's way of getting back at people is until y'all tell me who did it. Uh, somebody gonna get it every day, and Landry was the one and that had to get the volunteer. cut. Yeah, and they threw Landry's ass out there, and so you know he moved a butterfly, some shit. He moved. It said Landry did not step forward. He merely reached out for an itch upon his arm. Prentice was never sure after the fact if Landry knew what he had done. He could only recall his brother's eyes locked on the cloud of flies before their cabin. His mind wandered yeah. as it was prone to do. See, that's why I thought that he was either mentally ill or he was autistic. Could have been. Well, he was a kid. You know, he was he a was kid. He was just a kid who couldn't sit still. But nobody would bump for him. He got and get his ass beat every day. I mean, so so he's he's used to being beat in submission, right? So his not fighting back is trauma. It's part of what he's conditioned not to do. And so I I didn't I hear what Teresa's saying now, and that's that's a strong point. That I thought to your point, Lenny, he was he was speaking to his humanity. You know, he he would have he wouldn't have told nobody's damn business, right? 
but he wasn't given that opportunity to keep the secret. But he was speaking to his humanity because they was fucking him up. And he, I mean, what Buddy was fucking him up. Y'all, the author does such a great job in his descriptive narrative in capturing the moments of the time where you can actually see the trauma from slavery that runs deep on both sides. On one hand, you have some white people who have been passed down the evil DNA strand of seeing other people suffer for their benefits. And then on the other hand, on the black side, you have the DNA strand passed down from Prentice seeing his brother being brutalized and powerless where he couldn't help his loved one. Each month, Mr. Morton would come out and watch Landry, a small child, be beaten for the, like what you said, Harvey, for the transgressions of other slaves, like showing up late to work, not picking enough cotton, running away. And it was so atrocious that it broke his jaw, disconnecting it from his skull, making it virtually impossible to talk. So much so that he gave up speaking altogether and he would just spend the rest of his life living inside his head, wandering around with his jaw hung open. And that's horrible because when you think about the, the caricature of the dumb, lazy slave, you, you see that mouth open and the, the droopy face and all that. And, and, you know, when you hear stories like this and you think about how a person became that way, it's, it's, it's horrible, man. And those became the images that we we grew to um, expect of each other. It's horrible. Robert Greene's 48 Laws of Power, he said, so much depends on your reputation guarded with your life. And one of the things that stood out in the story to me was the great links that August went through to keep his secret a secret and to protect his reputation and his family legacy and reputation in the small town of Old Ox. So much so that he had to take a man's life, a secret, to make sure the secret was kept a secret. Yeah, I think I think social media in the new world, I think that shit is lost. I don't think the new I don't think that I think that's over with. Like they they've shown now that with especially with the last presidency. Like, your past don't matter no more if this is what they want. So I think there was a time when reputation and these things and legacy and namesake mattered. Today, all oh, these motherfuckers, dog, think about how many people film they, they girlfriends and boyfriends in, in unawkward moments, and they think that shit funny, you know? And just this weird, the weird stuff you see on TikTok every single day, it's no repercussion. So, you know, we were told... 15, 20 years ago, hey, if you do this, it's going to stay on your profile forever. You're not going to be able to get a job. And these kids don't give a shit about that. So it's a, it's a different time period, you know? Okay, for the listeners, the story goes, after August murdered Landry, who is Prentice's brother, Prentice was pissed, right? So Prentice confronted August, and his daddy stepped in and started talking to Prentice sideways, and Prentice, being so disgusted and so upset, spit in Wade Webler's face. 
Now, Wade Webler being one of the most influential men in Odox was pissed. And he had Prentice arrested to be hung as soon as possible. And Caleb being branded as a coward decided enough was enough. And he used this opportunity to step up, man up, and do the right thing. And he broke Prentice out of jail. So here you have Wade Webler, the most respected man in town, getting spit on by a newly freed slave. So he is upset. And he goes to George's house to try to find Prentice. And he's met at the door by Isabel George's wife. So while he's talking to her, he's upset, saying, hey, where he is, he started bad-mouthing Caleb. Right then, the sheriff stopped him and said, hey, you know it's not proper decorum to talk ill to a woman about her child. He collected himself, apologized, and changed his tone. And one of the things that jumped out the most to me was no matter how nefarious these white people were and how evil they were, they still were able to stick to a code of decorum and operate around some type of manners. Oh, that's bullshit. I knew he was going to use that word. I was waiting for the word you was going to use. <laughs> I mean, they, they they treated white women like ornaments, right? Oh, I can't cuss in front of you. Uh, you don't matter to me. Like, who, your whole existence is just to say, hello, nod your head, ma'am. Now get the hell out of here so we can get back to our shit. You know, that's the whole relationship. You know, even with Margaret, you know, the widower. I mean, she still don't get no, you know, no attention from those white men. So, I mean, mannerism is the word, but it's not polite. It's not, it's not a, 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 um, a, um, it's formality. It's formality. Absolutely. 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 And I mean, I guess to your point, Harvey, like white women were, were well, women were accessories to men mm-hmm. in that time that you, you don't talk about business. If your husband dies, you might lose your property because who's going to work? Like, what are you going to do? We can't let you own stuff. You, you're you just a woman. What is, what is we going to do? Nah, they treated women like shit, man. It was bad. Back in those days, if you decided to treat black people like human beings and not treat them less than, it could cost you everything. Shit. It costs George his son, it's the same, his property, (laughs) and eventually it cost him his life. Teresa, what was your read on the relationship between Isabel and Mildred? I think that they were, um, I mean, they were friends in, in a time where that's how friends interacted. And Mildred was a very strong woman because she had had to be she was married to someone who people say it was weak as well and she was able to i guess get him in gear like a lot of women do and put him into a position to where he was also maybe not respected for who he was but respected for what he had and then she had these strong sons so she became respected in town based on her position. And for whatever reason, she was connected to Isabel. And then we found out 
at the end of the book why she felt connected to Isabel, but um, Mildred was a good friend to Isabel. Was her husband not respected and considered weak by the people in town or her? I think both. Because I heard her talk about her husband as being weak. Like, it was almost like she was very um, dominant. Yes, and expecting... And, and very assertive. Right, expecting him to do and be different. And I think that in her thinking as well, she probably looked at George kind of that way, but she grew to learn. This whole book seems to have characters that evolve over time and learn that things are not what they think they are. And as they find this information out, they become new people. You know, every character in this book evolved in a certain way. Because a little while ago, you said George, almost like he planned to do some type of sacrifice, but this all just came to him. It it was not his intent to be a martyr. It was not his intent to even you know, have the town look at him in a way that they did. He just wanted to give a fair wage to men that happened to be on his property, and he thought that eventually they'd go on that merry way. He had no idea that all of this was going to happen. Somebody told on George. Man, George been hanging out that whole house. <laughs> of course. George hanging out of the whole house. That's you know what that. people do. Hanging out over there with them whores. Mind your business Mildred, so they can tell it. Mildred, someone was, they were gossiping and Mildred came and told Isabel. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you said, Teresa, that I think <laughs> that was very poignant and, and important about one of the takeaways of the book that I didn't get, but now that you say it, it enlightened me. The characters in this book elevated, each character in the book elevated once we learn more about them. And once other people learn more about that character. So once they had more in information of the character, they gained more understanding of each individual and they respected them more. I mean, that it's was like, Isabel's and Mildred's whole relationship. They constantly checking each other and you don't understand. It's actually this. I just want to be happy. I wish you were happy. I am happy. Also with George. <laughs> once Webler started learning more about George, he started respecting George more. No, George was checking his ass, telling him, hey, look, do you know the because feds is coming, George homie? George never ha had you... the opportunity to check Webler. I, I, again, George I think... is only close to Ezra. But he had, really he had checked him before. Everyone in town knew that George had words for people right. and that he would. But George was like a ghost. You know, he only came to town when he felt like it. George did well, whatever the hell like he wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> that was the funniest shit. I'm tired of seeing you, George, coming through town looking like a Mexican. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, he just, he did whatever he wanted to do. And I think that people said they didn't like him. But as I look back at the book now. They probably had some type of jealousy about yeah. George because he was free. He was and they were comfortable in his skin. He, he was free really to live, to uh, move. You know, he just if he needed money, he'd go see Ezra and say, "Hey, you know, 
buy a couple of acres Sounds from me and exactly. um, you know, I'm gonna go back on deck down here with my wife and hang out and look for the black beast and whatever I'm doing because mm-hmm. I Make can some do whatever cakes, I want to do. Rub my belly, talk to this hooker, and just live my life. Be live free. Live my life. Let's talk about that beast for a second. Um, like you said, the beginning of the book opened up, he was lost in the woods searching for this beast, this mythical creature. Now, George come from a family of slaveholders. And one of the slaves that his family owned was this little girl named Taffy, who was around George's age. In the book, we find out that George's father would have Taffy dress up as this creature and pretend that this creature was real. So George's whole life, he thought that this creature was real. And sometimes his father would dress up as this creature. Taffy essentially became George's best friend. They spent a lot of time together. But eventually, George's father passed away, and Taffy was sold off. George longed for Taffy, and Taffy never left his mind. So it's safe to say that George was in love with Taffy. So essentially, George's first love was a black woman. Black girl. Okay, a black girl. But my point is, I want to talk about the significance of this mythical creature that George was chasing throughout the whole book. And what did it represent? Sasquatch. What was the significance that you think that the creature represented? Oh, man. Guilt. Um, The constant lingering of shame. Or... Could it be the manipulation of the truth that your parents told you to try to preserve your childhood? In George's case, his dad passed away before he could tell him that it was just a mythical creature. And speaking from a parent's point of view, you have to be careful with that because because they can grow to become naive. In this case, we discovered that George was naive and totally oblivious to racism that he thought the sheriff was going to bring justice for Landry's death. And to George's surprise, the sheriff came up with some lame reason why Landry died. George did die with dignity, Mm. I guess, you know, he didn't want to live like that. He reminded me of Lieutenant Dan. Joe's <laughs> <laughs> like, leave me right here. I want to die right here on the battlefield. Don't save me. <laughs> I can crawl. I need it's my arms. Right. Oh, George, it's just a shot in the leg. Stop being <laughs> dramatic. Right. right. From the it's man burning. who shot you, John Wayne is tripping. And then he, John Wayne goes, what? <laughs> I don't want to be here anymore. You shot me in my damn thigh. And it's like, you know, you get shot in your femur. You did. That's where your Eat largest artery is. Especially in them times. No antibiotics. Right. And George <laughs> already had a hip problem. He probably oh, he needed did. a hip replacement. So he, he was like, oh, I'm good. This is too much. Yeah, because like, what was he going to do uh, if he had survived? He can't work the land no more. Right, like, right. Yeah, you know. Yeah, a prosthetic ma- leg. They had prosthetics. What they did offer him a prosthetic. They- After George passed, Isabel 
came into her own. You know and, what? And she, I'm going to go back. Okay. Because Isabel started to come into her own before George died. She began to see and respect him more because she started to learn more about him. Through Clementine. Through Clementine and through some other things. She just actually, and, and talking to Mildred, I think that the I mean, entire cat list, when they thought Caleb was dead. That's the thing. That's the she thing. turned her back on George, and as she did that, she had to relearn him all so look, over again. Check this out. And she kind of had to find her purpose again because she was just more or less a wife and a mother. But and hold, on, hold, on, hold, mother on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Check this out. Go back to that war, though. Don't miss this part. There was an arrangement for Caleb in August to be on the safe side of the war. So nothing was supposed to happen in them boys. So that's why the mama's pissed. Like, my son ain't supposed to be out here to begin with, and he's supposed to be protected. And now he done got himself off and killed. Like, this whole relationship is fucked up. Because this, this is a lie. Something's not right here. Well, was that arrangement for yeah. Caleb as well? It was connected, yeah. They both had the arrangement. <laughs> because Caleb was... Obviously, he not wasn't built for it at all. I mean, because the, he wasn't built for it at all. He wasn't, but he took that chance because he thought that he was about to go down, and he took off, and that's why August beat his behind. When, I reason. mean, maybe you know, August should have said on, he yeah. wooded him up. He's been spanking our yes, ass for a minute. He did <laughs> since yeah. they was kids. What are you talking about? Yeah, so. I think August should have said, "Hey, boy, where you going? Damn, you know we not nothing's going to happen to us." He was giving him <laughs> in, in, in both kind of ways. He was a double taking him down. Okay, so when Jesus Caleb ran away and went to the Union and did his surrender, August was really upset, and we know for more reasons than one, but. We all know that August came back because he had, they had been paid for August to come home. I never knew that Caleb was in on any of that because, you know, I guess George well, again, money it was, not that It was long. on the, the initial setup, you know. After, they, after the shit went sour, that was different. But the initial setup was they, they, had, they had the good jobs. They want infantry soldiers. They won't like Mildred's sons. Listen. They was killers. Like them motherfuckers came back barbaric as hell. <laughs> right. Mildred didn't have anything to worry about. Y'all, Taffy, like I said earlier, was George's first love. And she was a, a black woman, a black girl who was a slave. George obviously had a proclivity towards black women because Clementine was a black woman from New Orleans. They say once you go black and you come back. He had a proclivity for Taffy because he had an unresolved relationship that psychologically left him in a place that when he saw Clementine, it took him back to that moment. That's what I meant. Taffy made a way for Clementine. Never want to let you so, go. Then in Clementine, in turn, 
saved George's marriage. And she also saved Isabel's sanity. The black folks saved all of the people in this book and then disappeared. Exactly. <laughs> and then disappeared. <laughs> exactly. They gave their life. And just went away. Speaking of which... It was three black people yeah. in the book. <laughs> no, I forgot three. all about Taffy, bro. I ain't gonna even lie, bro. Yeah. Yeah, it was three. Yeah. It was just three black people. Yeah, it was three black people. I mean, unless well, you count include, the people in the girl. Girl. Baby girl. I had a black dude with him. Baby girl. Gail was Taffy? black, wasn't he? No. no. Clementine's daughter? Yeah, Clementine's daughter. She said five words. Was his name Gail? Gail. One, of, one of Tom Lounger's. He was yeah. the overseer. He was white. He didn't have one of white, one bro. of those characters wasn't black. That was in the. He just was stupid. Mm-hmm. He, he was just really mm-hmm. really stupid. Yeah. Yes, the so poor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. White Ignorant. man. Yeah, exactly. That is depicted as the overseer. Mm-hmm. Yo, I'm gonna start with you, Donovan. What's up? Give me your final thoughts on this book and rate this one through ten. Um, my final thoughts is um. You must be willing to give up your life if you want to help black people. The only way to goodness is through black people, apparently. And I probably out of, what are we doing, one to five or uh, one to ten? I always forget. One to ten. I'll give it a seven. I mean, actually, I'll give it an eight because the writing was good. Is Like I said, the descriptions were, were great. Um, I think the author did take some time to kind of develop these these archetypes for these characters um, because it was definitely, it's definitely visible. Um, so I give it back maybe like an eight, but okay. I still hate most of the characters. <laughs> <laughs> Teresa, what's your thoughts? My thought about this book is that it was phenomenal. I'm going to use the word phenomenal. Oh, wow. I liked the parallels that were presented in the text. And I completely enjoyed the way the writing took me on this journey and submerged me in this time period. But I also enjoyed how the presentation of that time period is very much like the time period that we live in right now. Nothing much has changed we probably have less order in our society now than there was at that particular point. And I, you know, I like the characters. I could have spent a Sunday with them. So I'm going to give it a nine and a half. Wow. Which characters did you like the most? I like them all, which is why when, when Donovan said he didn't like any of them, I was like, they're all my friends. I did you like Mr. Webler like I like Mr. Webler? I did like Mr. Webler because I know Mr. Webler. You know, I, I, I know a Mr. Webler. I know an Ezra? August. I know, uh, and, you know, I told you the, I could see all of these characters these in my lifetime. Folks, right? What was the uh, the sheriff's right, name? Uh, Hexton. Not black people Hexted. that had like that. He's a white he people. He was the annoying know, right? one. Yeah, he was John Wayne. Mm-hmm. What you, what you, <laughs> what you think, Harvey? <laughs> I mean, I think I think Donovan and Teresa's um, ratings were beautiful. First of all, I think the things that they said about this book was were spot on, um, and that's good because I wanted to get this book like a six because 
I I just wasn't feeling it, but it it was good. The whole time it was good. And I think when you think about, okay, this brother 29 years old. So this is this is to know that this conversation is still important to people, I think takes it from a six to an eight. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like, how do I tell somebody to read this? Oh, it's fiction. Just have fun. Just read it and enjoy it. It might go from an eight to a nine. So I don't, you know what I mean? So I, I think <laughs> when you look at it for what it's, what if that what the contribution it adds to our well being, I think it is higher than actually the read itself. But I, I did enjoy it and I enjoyed I really enjoyed listening to it. I really enjoyed the way the um the narrator um threw his voice and played the different characters or whatnot. I really I thought it was it was good to listen to. And I want you to go back, Harvey, and listen to it in the real oh, I did. speed. And that's what that's what took forever. Yeah. Isn't but it? It's funny it's, as hell. It is phenomenal yeah, in its true yeah, speed. It absolutely is. So, so, and I, I think that's what it was like. So at first it's like, damn, a slave narrative. It's like, okay. Uh, it's just like, doopy doopy doopy. <laughs> I'm looking for some shit to pop off and then it does. It's like, okay. Then it goes back down. So anyway. All right. I do want to say though, that, I really thought that we were going to do something light and this was not light. This was actually pretty heavy and I will just go ahead and confess I did cry at oh, one point. Up, in this book. I know you're right. Oh, so oh, I mean, come on, man. Where had you where had you well, going? When Landry died, got killed? I think when he spoke up. It was quite a few moments in this book cuz if you just go with it, your emotions will take you. Um, but I cried for Isabel when George checked out because I was just like, as a woman, I was going, when oh, he checked out, like mentally, or when he died. died, when he died, okay, because he checked out. Well, I mean, that, yeah, that, that whole didn't, nobody cared, you know, that was like, eh. yeah, I mean, that was a oh, you want to go, then bye. But then when he died, though, she had come to a whole different place with him in her life. And he was in a different place. Her son was gone. Landry was dead. She had all this land. Everything was a mess. And then George just dies. Gets herself shot. Yeah. Poor Isabel. But I think this is what this is what makes that book good, though, right? I mean... The 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 handful of characters, they got multiple layers. It's a lot of shit happening in the book, and and it's colorful. So yeah, it's it's a, it's not bad, young fella, not bad. All right, it's my thoughts. First of all, this speaks to the lie that they were told, they were indoctrinated on, and they were led to believe. So we had a whole nation built upon a lie. But only one sector of the people believe that lie. And really, that's the only sector that matters because they are the ruling class, the white people. But for this book to be have been a debut book by a 29-year-old black man whose father is an English teacher. He went to the uni- um, Nathan Harris went to the University of Texas. Anyway, this is Excellent, excellent, excellent writing for him to be able to capture the moment. And he really, like you said, Teresa, he took us there. I could feel the leaves crickling. I could feel the wind. 
I can feel Landry's pain. You know, I can, I can feel August's shame. With all that being said, though, I think the book moved really, really slow. And if I was trying to introduce people to reading books, this definitely would not be a book I would use to introduce someone to reading. This type of book is reserved for experienced readers and someone who loves to read. And I say that for the patience it takes for the first 11 chapters with the character development. Although quite entertaining and quite descriptive, it just took a long time. <laughs> it took to chapter 12 before it started getting <laughs> oh shit you know now now the story is going it's not it, an action movie do, do, no it's not an action do, do, movie it's my thoughts too alright <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think uh, the writing is excellent more importantly I think the narrator we have to get a narrator his flowers the narrator gets a 10 plus on this one he was excellent. He went into the characters. His voice was excellent. He was able to get through these words. But um, with all that being said, my overall rating on this book is a six <clears throat> and a half. What did you give the Rick Ross book? All right. I think <laughs> I gave Rick Ross six and a half. So I'm going to get this a seven. For the culture, dog. Uh -huh. Come on, dog. For the culture. No, the and, and, and the, the reason culture, why I'm giving it a seven, because I could see on, it for the culture, dragging. Dog. I'm like, yo, it's dragging. And I think I think the end of the story was kind of rushed a little bit. It could have been a little bit more. I, I would like to see some more, I don't know, some redemption. I I I like I like what Isabel did. You know, then it kind of went into a whole nother section when she was giving the black people lots and let them lease the land for like a year. That was acres. redemption. You can have 15 acres if you just help me out a couple of days a week. She was just trying to carry out her husband's acres. wishes. Then, I'm so tired of these white savior stories. But a man went into the town, he got shamed, and then uh, Marjorie's sons went and beat the guys Ice. up. And no then he just... So I'm thinking left. about this this book, and I'm making this up now because the book was made up, and I'm wondering to the conversation between George and Webler. When George tells Webler, they want to make an example out of you. They want to take the biggest and the baddest and break him. You know, you know what they said about breaking bucks and breaking black men. So the same same narrative, right? To that point, it makes me wonder, like. Hold on, um, he said that to Webler? When, yeah. When, 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 when George no, told... No, George said to him, didn't it? No, George told to him George, that when he was telling him about... Because he's trying, he's trying to get... He's trying to get... Oh, he's trying yeah, to call right, Webber right. down. To he's trying to call Webber down and let, 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 you know, get off of uh, Prentice. He's choking him out Prentice. and shit. You know what I'm saying? He's choking Prentice out. He got him, he got him sleep, you know? And... Uh, <laughs> this Prentice <laughs> hawked that loogie in his face. <laughs> you know, they, they drip. <laughs> it's when it's slowly beginning to drip. <laughs> but you know, which was another it was great, you know, story. But it, but to the, you know, 
I'm wondering yeah. now, you know, the idea, okay, change is going to happen. Whether you like it or not, you lay down and get laid down. And it don't matter mm-hmm. who you are. It's just the way it goes. And I think it's just interesting how that gets played out. Well, that wraps up another Bruh's Bookshelf Podcast episode. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with your friends. Rate us. Give us a five-star rating. And tune in next time to the Bruh's Bookshelf.